Good morning. I'm going to read from James 5, verses 7 to 11. Be patient then, brothers, until Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other's brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Thank you. Thank you, Ella. So, if it weren't for the, the fact that I am a man and I'm relatively thin, uh, some of you might think that I'm pregnant because I like pickles more than a pregnant woman. I eat pickles. If you are just basing it on how often I eat pickles and at least love pickles, you might suspect that, that I'm pregnant. I, I love pickles for lunch. With my, I mean, I don't just eat pickles just for lunch. Uh, I'll have them with my sandwich. I'll have them as an afternoon snack. Uh, I'll have pickles at dinner, maybe an after-dinner snack, maybe at night before I go to bed. I mean, I love pickles. And what I love, what I love about pickles, one of the things that I absolutely love about pickles is that I can, I can get them whenever I want. I can, you know, if I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a pickle. I'll just get in my car and I'll drive to the store and there, you guys, I'm telling the story because I'm trying to find my place. I'm just kind of making this up as I go along. Not really, I know where James is. I'll find it, here it is. Um, so I, you go to the store and, and there are literally rows and rows and rows of pickles of all different flavors, all different kinds, and they're all right there ready for me whenever I want them. Today we are beginning a new series, a series that coincides with the season of Advent, today being the first Sunday in the season of Advent, and it is a series which we are calling Wait. It's a series we are calling Wait. And what we're going to be doing is looking at various texts over the next four weeks and we're going to be looking at what they say about waiting. So we're going to be looking at them through this lens of what they have to tell us about waiting. We're not simply looking at everything that is said in the text as much as we're going to look at the text and see what it tells us about, about waiting. And this is, the Advent season, of course, is a great time to look at this concept of waiting and the whole tradition of giving gifts is really a wonderful tradition. Now, of course, it's become overblown. We could criticize it. You'll often hear pastors criticizing what's become of Christmas and the consumerism and the fact that, you know, for three weeks of the year, you can't use your living room because it's completely full of presents. They just spill out from underneath 
the, the, the Christmas tree and you can't make your way in, right? There's an entire section of your house that just gets smaller and smaller every year because you just get more and more and more and more and more presents. So we could, of course, critique the materialism and the consumerism, and maybe I'll do that next year, next Advent. Um, but for this Advent, I think we, we need to see there's something actually quite wonderful and beautiful about this tradition of, of buying presents, wrapping them, putting them under the tree, and then you have to wait. You have to wait to open them, right? I mean, and in this, in this age when you can have things instantly, in this age of express mail, in this age of Amazon Prime two-day delivery, in this age of Netflix, and you can, you can download movies instantly, you don't have to wait. Sometimes it seems like you can, it's like you can almost see the movies on your screen in your home before they come out in the theater. I don't know how people do this, but somehow they find ways. I mean, you get things instantly, and yet we have this tradition where we buy something and then we have to wait. We have to wait until we open it, and I think that's a, that's a beautiful tradition, and it, it's, it's, um, it's important for us. It's important for us to learn how to wait, and here's why. It's important for us to learn how to wait, because despite the fact that we have all of these improvements in life, Express Mail, Amazon, Netflix, you can get things immediately. Despite the fact that you can go to a grocery store and get pickles whenever you want, the reality is that the world is still not the way it should be. The world still is not anywhere close to being the way that it should be. Right, I love that song that Alicia sang, and Alicia's not with us, of course, where she's downstairs, right? She did an amazing job singing that song, and I love the song because it had that, that cry for, we need peace, we need hope, we need these things to come into our world in order for our dreams to come alive. I mean, there's just this, this sense of longing that comes through that song, and that longing comes from the fact that, that the world is not the way that it should be. This, the immediacy that we experience, that we can't experience, look, it hasn't fixed a lot of things, has it? The fact that you can download uh, movies on Netflix anytime you want, the fact that you can get Amazon two-day delivery, I don't think has fixed your marriage, has it? I, I don't think the fact that you can go get pickles anytime that you want um, has, has fixed the challenges that you're facing at work, the relational struggles that you're facing with your boss and with your coworkers. The fact that you can get pickles at the store hasn't changed that. The reality is there are all these things that the immediacy of, of how we can, that is so common in our culture, it, it has not fixed really much of anything, but what it has done is it's made us terrible at waiting. And so Advent is a time, it is a season that helps us to learn how to wait. Now actually, when we come into Advent, what I love about Advent is that it is a season that really captures well the nature of the kingdom of God. It captures it very well in the sense that it captures the already and the not yet nature of the kingdom of God. On one hand, what we celebrate at Christmas this season is the already that, that Christ has come, right? That's, that's, that's a big deal. We come Christmas morning, we celebrate Christ has come, peace has come into this world, love, joy, and we celebrate what we find in the New Testament, right? We find the coming of Christ, and we find throughout his ministry, him announcing the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is available. We see Jesus throughout his ministry 
doing all kinds of things that suggest that the kingdom of God is here, right? He brings healing to those who are sick. He reaches out to those who are poor. He reaches out to those who are disadvantaged. He does all of the things that, that, are, that are a part of the kingdom of God coming, and yet, and yet, we know that it isn't here in its fullness. So we can celebrate both. We can celebrate the already, and that's something that we should do this season, and that's something that we can do in future seasons. We can celebrate the availability of the kingdom of God, that, that God can be known, that you can come to be in a relationship with God, and that this God can begin to bring healing into your life right now. But what we also need to reflect on is the fact that, you know, it's not complete. It's not complete, and therefore, we need to wait. So in other words, Christmas is a time to both celebrate Christ's first coming, but it's also a time to celebrate his second coming, to look forward to that time when God will come and he will make things new. And that's really the focus of this series, is this needing to wait, this learning to wait for God to come and to make things right. Actually, what, what Advent can do for us <coughs> and this is what learning to wait is all about, is that it trains us, and you've heard me say this before, it trains us to live and to think eschatologically instead of philosophically. Most people, whether you, think of your, whether you fancy yourself as a philosopher or not, you are, and you think philosophically. And here's what I mean by that. When something happens to you, you get in a car accident, you lose your job, um, your football team loses, whatever it is, whatever it is that gets you upset, what, you, what, do you, what do you do? You say, why, God, why? Why is this happening to me? And in that moment, you're being a philosopher. You're asking a philosophical question. Why is this happening to me? And what Advent helps us to do, what Advent helps us to do is it trains us to not be philosophers. It trains us to be eschatological officers, I made it up. I have to, eschatol officers, eschatol officers. I want you to become eschatolosophers. And those are folks that, that we, we don't ask why so much is this happening to me. We ask, how long, God, until you make it right? How long until you make this right? And that's what Advent does. We've got to get out of this this philosophical way of seeing things, why God, why, and start saying, no, I wait, I wait. So Advent is a season that trains us to wait. Now, what, what does it look like? What does it look like to wait <coughs> on the Lord? Okay, the first thing that we see in this passage is, of course, patience. To wait on the Lord means to, to live out a life of patience, right? So this is what emerges in the first verse. Be patient then until the Lord's coming. Be patient. Then what's interesting is then, or excuse me, be patient, and, and here's then what emerges in the next part of this verse. And this, here it is. We need to be patient because virtually everything worthwhile takes time. We need to be patient because virtually everything that is truly worthwhile takes time. And that's what sort of emerges here in the second part of this verse. It says here, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Now, 
<coughs> I realize that there's a, a word in here that's very confusing to most people today. You may be unfamiliar with it. Let me just kind of help you to understand what it is. It's this word, farmer. Are you familiar with this word, farmer? The reality is, for most people living in the New York metropolitan area, we, we don't know a lot of farmers. We don't, like, we don't, you know, hang out with a lot of farmers. In the ancient world, the vast majority of people were farmers. The time in which this was written, the vast majority of people were farmers today. We don't know a lot of farmers. And so we might be a little bit confused. We might be a little bit confused. And we might actually come, at least at a subconscious level, to think that pickles just come from the store. Right? If you want a pickle, you just go to the store and you get a pickle. But we need to, we need to actually understand that's not really how it works. I don't know if you realize that, but God does not just like deliver pickles out of the sky and they end up in your shop right store. That's not how it works. That actually, I may have come to believe that I could just get pickles whenever I want. They're available whenever I want. But what I often don't realize is that it actually takes a long time to make a pickle. To make a pickle, you I mean, here we go. I'm going to try to explain this. You, you, to, I mean, I'm using the word make, right? I, I clearly don't even know what I'm talking about. The way you make a pickle is that you plant something uh, in the ground, a seed, a seed thank you, and, and it grows, it grows over the course of, sev- I did look this up, it takes several months, two to three months for it to grow, and believe it, when it grows, it's not actually a pickle, it's something else known as a cucumber, I don't know if you guys do that, right, so it start right, it's cucumber, am I right about this? Okay, so it's a cucumber, after two, three months, it's a cucumber, it's not a pickle, so even after two or three months, you can't just take it and eat it and think it's going to taste like a pickle. Guess what? You have, to, you have to take it and you have to put it, you have to marinate it, I guess is what's called. Pickle it is what they call it. You put it in this, this, this substance. If somebody else, you guys are like, please just get through this illustration. You are totally butchering it. But apparently to pickle it correctly, to do it well, that can take a couple months to really do it well. And so the actual process that it takes to make a pickle is like four to five months You see, everything worthwhile takes time. Everything worthwhile takes time. (coughs) Excuse me. Give you another example. A few years ago, this is more than a few years ago, probably about 12, 13 years ago, I was in school and Thanksgiving came along and I was not able to go home for Thanksgiving. I had to do Thanksgiving by myself. And so I pretty much spent the day studying and I was figuring out what am I going to do for Thanksgiving. So I came up with, I thought, a very reasonable solution. I went to the, the grocery store, and I purchased a Swanson turkey TV dinner. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm like, it's Thanksgiving, let's have turkey. I'm like, this is great. I don't have to do anything. Just pop it in the microwave, and, you know, two minutes later, there it is, right? I mean, this is awesome. I'm going to tell you something. It was terrible. It was the worst Thanksgiving dinner I've ever had because you know what? To, to really have a great Thanksgiving turkey dinner, it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. You want, you want, you've got to cook it slowly. There's all these things that you do to make it right, and it takes time. Virtually everything worthwhile takes time. In fact, I would even suggest there's this strange sense in which immediacy actually takes some of the joy out of things. Immediacy takes some of the joy out of these things. And this is actually something that my wife has kind of always known intuitively. And I've only kind of realized this lately with regards to this one tradition that my wife has. 
Here's what the tradition is. And I haven't told her this yet. Honey, this Thursday at 8 p.m. on USA, It's a Wonderful Life is going to be on. Did you guys know that? On the USA Network, this Thursday at 8 p.m., the movie It's a Wonderful Life is going to come on. And I'm sure there's a couple other options, honey. I looked it up. There's one the next week, um, like on Saturday or something like that. But it's, it's, it's on this Tuesday, Sunday, and I'm sure that my family will pick one of those dates, and we're going to get really excited about this, and, and we're just going to be, oh, I can't wait till Tuesday at 8 o'clock, or Thursday at 8 o'clock, this is going to be unbelievable, we're going to make popcorn, we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to get soda, oh, I can't wait till that happens. Now, here's what's really ironic about that. We own the DVD to It's a Wonderful Life. We can watch it anytime we want. But my wife has this thing about her. She's like, oh, there's just something really exciting about watching it on TV. When it comes on, you've got you've to wait for it to come on. You see, immediacy actually can take some of the joy away. Virtually everything worthwhile takes time. So what does it look like to wait on the Lord? It means to be patient. Secondly, and I just want to kind of highlight this, I think that waiting on the Lord... It means to relax. To wait on the Lord, a person who is really and truly waiting on the Lord is a person who is able to relax. And they don't relax because things are fine, because they probably aren't. They relax because they know that one day things will be fine. Now think about that. That's very counterintuitive. Isn't it true that generally speaking, we only relax when things are fine? Right, So you relax after you do that presentation at work. Right? You relax after that product release that you have that you've been building towards for months now. You relax after you fill out that college application or you take that SAT uh, test. You, you relax after, right? You relax after you get through whatever the challenge is. Is. But what this is actually suggesting, I think, is that to wait on the Lord is to be able to relax, not because things are fine now, but because you know that one day they will be. Again, this is what it means to train ourselves to live eschatologically. It's learning to live in this not yet world, knowing that one day it will be. And this is, you know, verse 7, again, verse 7, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Now, of course, what's interesting is I, I think you could also just say, be patient then, because of the Lord's coming. Because of the Lord's coming, be patient because you know that he is coming. Because you know that one day he will make things right. Relax. Relax, because whatever challenges you're going through, when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in Christ, we can know that they will be fine. Relax, not because things are fine, but because we know that they will be. Another way of saying this, another way of unpacking this idea of being able to relax is realizing that, that for those who put their faith in Christ, uncertainty is an illusion. Think about that. Uncertainty is an illusion. That if we believe what the message of Christmas and the message of Advent is all about, it reminds us that uncertainty is an illusion. That uncertainty is as much of an illusion. Uncertainty is as much of an illusion illusion as is 
that monster that you see in the closet when you're a kid. Right? I remember growing up, you know, I was, you know, you're lying in bed and the lights are off. And there it is. There's the monster. And you can see the eyes. You can see the teeth. Right? And then the lights come on and the eyes are tennis balls, you know, and the teeth are your tennis racket. Right? You remember this, that there, there was something that you saw when you were a kid, but then as you get older, now you know this. Like, you, you know this. So when you see the eyes and the teeth, you're like, oh, that's probably tennis balls and tennis racket. You know that it's an illusion. Friends, when we learn to wait on the Lord, we are able to see uncertainty and spot it out and say, no, that's an illusion. That's as much an illusion as is the monster that I saw under my sister's bed when we were kids. When we wait on the Lord, we come to realize that uncertainty is an illusion and this enables us to relax. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to be patient. It means to relax. And then I think what emerges from this text, to wait on the Lord actually means that we don't grumble, right? And we're gonna talk about this more probably next week, I think is where we're gonna look at this more. But look here, verse nine. Verse nine, he says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, what's interesting, we gotta take a look at this notion of grumbling and set it in the context of this passage. We gotta understand, why do we grumble, right? Let's think about that for a minute. In other words, why do we, why do we get angry with others? Why do we complain about others? Why do we lash out against others? What is it that leads us to grumble with one another. And I would suggest there are two reasons why we do this ultimately. First of all, we forget that God will make things right and we forget that we aren't right. So we grumble with one another because we forget that God's gonna make things right. In other words, we forget that, look, whatever those challenges are that you're facing with that person, in the grand scheme of things, God is gonna work things out. I have a, a mentor of mine, a pastor friend whom I served with years ago, and one of the things he just always used to say, whenever we would face some sort of obstacle, some sort of challenge, some sort of relational difficulty, he would always say this. He'd say, look, you've got to ask yourself, is this really going to matter 10 years from now? Is this really going to matter 10 years from now? And most of the things that we get upset with each other about, most of the time, if you say, is this going to matter 10 years from now? The answer is going to be no. But we can take it even a step farther. When, when we understand what it means to wait on the Lord, you can, you can ask this question. You can say, is this going to matter 100 years from now? Is this going to matter in eternity? And what you're going to realize is that all of these things that cause us to fight and grumble, that when you set it in the context of a person that is learning to live in the not yet nature of the kingdom of God who knows and is waiting for God to make things right, you'll realize that most of the things that we grumble about just aren't worth grumbling about. Because the first reason that we grumble is because we forget that God will make things right. And the second reason why we grumble with one another is because we forget that we aren't right. In other words, we're all very good at being aware of the fact that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. But then we turn off the lens to ourselves in realizing we aren't the way we're supposed to be. That's what's happening when we grumble against others. We're recognizing that they aren't the way they're supposed to be, but we're neglecting the fact that we aren't the way that we're supposed to be. And this is why, this is why James takes such a harsh stance. He says, don't grumble against one another 
or you will be judged. We live in a, in a world where people don't like this idea of a God who judges, a God who judges people. But what we need to understand, again, we understand this when we look at the nature of grumbling is this. Do you know it, who it is that God judges? Judgmental people. God doesn't like judgmentalism either. That's why he wants to get rid of it. Do not judge others is really what this is saying, or you will be judged. The, the whole point of this is that what enables us to be right with God is humility. And of course, what's interesting to me is he has this very strong statement about don't grumble against each other or you will be judged. It sounds like a very strong and even absolute kind of statement. But then just a few verses later in verse 16, which we didn't read today, but in verse 16 it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Isn't that interesting? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And when you talk, well, what's a righteous man? Well, the context in which that comes, what is a righteous person? A righteous person, first and foremost, is a person who confesses their own unrighteousness. A righteous person first and foremost, is a person who confesses their own unrighteousness. Confessing our own unrighteousness, that's what makes us right with God. That's what puts an end to grumbling. So waiting on the Lord then, you see, waiting on the Lord means, means realizing that, hey, it's not just the world that isn't right, it's me too. It's me too. It's realizing it's not just everybody else, it's also myself that is the problem. When we realize that, that enables us to not grumble. So what does waiting on the Lord look like? It means to be patient. It means to relax. It means, to don't, it means don't grumble. Thirdly, I think we, can, we need to add to this what it means to wait on the Lord is that we work confidently. What I mean by that is that I think we can be a little bit uh, Led, we might be led to believe with this whole notion of waiting on the Lord that this is somehow passive. Right? We just, we're just waiting for God to fix things. We're just waiting for God to make things right. And I think we need to see something in this passage that tips us off to the fact that that is not what James is certainly talking about when he talks about waiting. Because notice that the illustration that he uses, he doesn't use the illustration of a person sitting at a bus stop. He uses the illustration of a farmer and what we need to realize is that a farmer waits, but a farmer is always working. Farmers are some of the hardest working people that you will ever meet. So this kind of waiting is not just, I'm just sitting there waiting for the bus to come by. This is the waiting of a farmer who's waiting for the rain, waiting for these things to come to make the crops grow, but is always working and working confidently. The wait on the Lord is, is not passive. What it means is that we, we work confidently but we, we do this not frantically or apathetically. This is the difference. I think most of us, we do work, we work hard, but most people work either frantically or apathetically. In other words, maybe a different way of putting it is that some people almost lose hope and so they don't work hard. Isn't that true? That we can be kind of filled with a sense of apathy in whatever it is that we're dealing with. Maybe it's in our job. 
Uh, we become apathetic about the way things are. It finds it very difficult to be motivated to do whatever it is that we're supposed to do. How about in your relationships, your relationships with your, your coworkers, your marriage? How easy is it to just become apathetic, this sort of sense of, and I think that the point here is that when you don't believe, when you don't believe that there is a God who ultimately will make things right, we just sort of lose steam and we become apathetic or we become very frantic, right? These are the two ways of doing it. Either you're apathetic or you're frantic because you feel like it's entirely up to you. So it's one or the other. Either I've got to get this done and so you're going crazy and you're not relaxed or you're just apathetic because you don't really even see the point. But what it means to learn to wait on the Lord means you're not, you're not passive, that God has called us to, to work with him in what he's doing, but it allows us to, to be confident because we know in the big picture that God is going to make things right. right? This, this, of course, doesn't mean that every little problem that we're having is gonna work out exactly the way that we think it is. But it does give us that confidence that we can work towards it because of the big picture. I, I used this uh, analogy a few weeks ago. I said that, that for, for many of us, life is a little bit like sitting in a rowboat in the middle of the ocean and it's dark and you can't see the shore and you're just paddling and paddling and paddling and you can't tell if you're, gonna hit the, if you're getting near the shore or farther away. You can't tell if the currents are pulling you away from the shore or pushing you farther towards the shore. And I think what waiting on the Lord means is we can have confidence that ultimately it is moving in that direction. We don't know when, we don't know how long, we don't know what it's going to take, but we know that in the big picture, that's the direction that it's moving. So we aren't frantic, we aren't apathetic, we're confident. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to be patient, it means to relax, it means to work confidently. I think finally, we need to see in this passage, we need to realize that waiting on the Lord is something that we don't handle by ourselves. We aren't in it alone as we wait. We see this here in verses 10 and 11. It says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, it's interesting here, James uses Job as a shining example of perseverance, which when you read the narrative of Job, it could be somewhat debatable on how you want to read Job. Uh, it seems like there was a tradition in, the, in first century Judaism which really did hold Job up as an example of perseverance. So it's quite likely that James is referring to that tradition. But his whole point is, is to say, look, we aren't the only ones who have gone through this before. You aren't the only one who has gone through this before. He highlights the prophets, and he, he says he wants us to be able to identify with people like Jeremiah, who had all kinds of difficulties, had all kinds of struggles, and yet Jeremiah was an individual who wrote some of the most uh, beautiful and poetic uh, words about the hope that we have for God to come and make things right. And so what James wants us to see is that you're not in this alone. Maybe just to put it uh, a different way. The person to the right of you, right now, the person sitting to your right, has issues. The person sitting to your right has issues. 
and the person sitting to your left. They have issues. The person in front of you, the person in back of you, we all have issues. And this is what's so wonderful about the family of God is that we realize we don't have to go through this alone. That we have a community of people whom we can join with together and and work through this and encourage one another to wait. That's why Advent is a season in which we come together as a family and we encourage one another in whatever it is that we're facing. So look, what's the sort of conclusion here? Simply this, embrace the wait. Embrace the wait. When you have to wait, when you have to wait for something, see it as, as something that's training you in how to live within the kingdom of God. Imagine that. Imagine that. If, if you came to something where you had to wait, and instead of being frustrated, you're like, yeah. Yeah, this is okay. I embrace the wait. This is fine. I'm okay with this. Because this is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. This is what it means to, to not think philosophically, but to live eschatologically. This is what it means to trust in God. So this Christmas, when you go out and you buy those presents, I would encourage you, this is an encouragement to me because I usually buy the Christmas presents like two days before Christmas. Buy them soon. Buy your Christmas presents as quickly as you can. Get them under the tree as a way of reminding you over the next few weeks of the importance of learning to wait. Because the whole notion of Christmas is that what we're looking at is that that day, Christmas morning, when you open those Christmas presents, anticipates that day when God will come and will make things right. Will you pray with me?